0: Gee, I am so popular. And I'm here with a guest who has already been here, but I accidentally deleted the episode. So please introduce yourself again as if it was the first time.
1: Hi, it's uh, Comrade Bjork here talking to Zach Langley Chi Chi for the first time ever. First time ever. have been done before. <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you doing? I am, um, what do you call it? I am exhausted, being exhausted from watching uh, Drawing Restraint 9.
0: Likewise, and why do you follow me?
1: Uh, I I tried to answer this last time, and I think we couldn't pinpoint exactly why. Like, it was either Azalea, maybe Drag Race, but I don't think, or Björk.
0: It's one of those three, or a mixture of all three, and in any case... Yeah,
1: like, I followed a few years back.
0: Yeah, I guess we follow each other because we both kind of, like, started on, like, the Stan twitter circuit.
1: Yeah. Definitely that. Like, I think I would started, like, I had mutuals with you,
0: yeah. initially. Are you ever embarrassed to, like, have, or, like, partially continue to be a part of Stan Twitter?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's sort of adapted. Like, I, I what do you call it, I've gone from, like, I was, like, a full-on Stan, and then I've sort of, like, casualized my account. Like, it's more just, like, I, I like, I don't talk about as Bjork bir- as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I took sort of I've orbited into the more like political sphere yeah
0: I had like a pinned tweet of Utada that kind of like went vaguely viral from me and that was like my pinned tweet for three years and I just took it down to replace it with a podcast like a few weeks ago and I was like oh like the transformation's complete like I am no longer a stan I guess like I don't know
1: yeah I, th- I think that would you call it? I think the I guess you could say, like, the uh, stans' Twitter's changed in that way, that it's, like, there's very few, like, full-on stans left now, or, like, we've Mm -hmm. left that sphere.
0: I guess, like, now it's mostly, like, the teenage... Oh, my God, I'm going to get dragged for talking about teenagers again. But it is mostly, you know, like, 16-, 17-year-olds, you know, 14-year-olds even.
1: Yeah, like the Melanie Martinez stands that I block on site.
0: They're better off than, like, the, like... LGBTQ, like, you know, they have those avatars that they design on those websites. <laughs> oh, like the picker? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like those people and their discourse about, what are they called? I was just tweeting about this and I already forgot the word. Oh, Zener? Xenogenders. Xenogenders. Yeah, xenogenders. It's like all of the people who have like Xenogender discourse on their account always have those like really ugly, like, custom designed website avatars. (laughs) Yeah, and like
1: I don't know, is there like is who's like the most common person that's stand by the xenogender crowd?
0: I don't know. That's a good question. Who could they even like? They hate everyone. They're just angry. Who could who could it possibly be? I mean they all want to be diaper babies, so maybe it is Melody. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Did you know I actually used to listen to her? Like seriously?
1: Oh my God, I, what do you call, I was in the car with my sister once and she had her music on Chapel
0: and Melanie started playing. <laughs> I was like, seriously? I had a mutual friend who was in one of her music videos. So that's how oh I wow. got into her when she first started. And then I I like, I bought her first album on vinyl. Cringe. <laughs> I still have it. I didn't burn <laughs> it. I forgot to. I need to do that. Well, I
1: don't know. At the, have the wildfires in the like Pacific Northwest settled down?
0: Because I yeah. don't know. Maybe, maybe it could still get burned. <laughs> next summer. They'll, they'll definitely burn down Central Oregon next summer. They didn't quite yeah. get there this year, but it'll be next year for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I just finished recording with Twink Revolution. I think their episode will be coming out pretty closely to this one, so get into that, everybody. But today I have Miss Comrade Bjork on to talk about one special lady. <laughs> Who are we talking about today?
1: Uh Kate Bush. No, <laughs> Björk, of course.
0: No. <laughs> do you like Kate yeah. Bush? Actually.
1: Ah, uh, yes, yeah, sort of, but I never got in as deep as the Björk
0: rabbit hole. I like, like. What do you call it? I, I like, like Kate Bush, yeah. but she's not as exciting as Björk. She's never been yeah. as exciting as Björk to me.
1: Björk has what do you call it? more? More of the media profile, more albums, more, and like what do you call it? Like multimedia like she's yeah. got the movies as well and the other band she's been in
0: yeah and we're going to talk about the movies today in the second half of the show but I thought at first we just kind of talk about our relationship as uh two white gay men in the world and our love for Bjork I thought I might uh ask why do you stan her
1: um that's a difficult question uh I sort of fell down the as I said, Björk, Rabbit Hole. Mm-hmm. But when I was like 14, like I grew up really into debut. What about you? What what uh, album did you start with?
0: I think the first one for me in full was either post or homogenic, but it was like literally 10 years ago now. So I'm not yeah. entirely sure.
1: Yeah. Like I feel like most people start with one of the first three. Yeah, I think so. so like it's either debut, post or homogenic.
0: Yeah. So I guess in... High school, I was very interested in, like, expanding my music taste. And I wanted to, like, listen to more, like, oh, my God, radical music or something (laughs) like that. And so, of course, I naturally came across Bjork in some way or another. And I remember, like, listening to Unravel on YouTube and was like, I guess I'm supposed to like this. And I'm, like, LARPing that I like it, but I really didn't. And then one day it just, like, clicked and suddenly I did and I lived for it.
1: Yeah, like, what do you call, it? I feel, well, I feel like I didn't have to do that, but, like, there's definitely a clicking, like, since all of her albums are so radically different, you could say, you, you, sometimes it takes a while for them to click, like, what do you call it, Medula, I never really got into originally.
0: hmm it took me a long time for like, Medula as well.
1: Yeah. Yo. Yeah, but, yeah, like, I think, well, yeah, I think that. the, the the way you get sucked into Bjer- being a Bjork is you find one album that really clicks with you and then you'll slowly go through the rest and just I don't know down there what do you call it like
0: researching <laughs> yeah literally whatever. research which album was it for you that clicked
1: um besides i th- i would say debut but other than that like uh, i go- i got really into vespertine at one point Ooh, like me i think too. Best- yeah best for is a pretty popular one as well
0: yeah and it's kind of had a backlash now too people are saying it's overrated and i disagree yeah
1: i i don't know how you could say it's overrated like what do you call it there was also the other controversy where people like are oh, people are overcrediting matt moss for their production on it, mm. but really she did most of the work right
0: yeah, and she talked about that in Pitchfork. I think this has been a problem that's like plagued her her whole career. And it continues now where everyone says that Arca shaped the entire direction of her last two albums when it really was not that at all. You're like, what?
1: Like, you can hear a lot of Arca on Utopia, mm-hmm. but not so much. To say Volnacure is like a heavily Arca-influenced it's album. It's
0: simply a lie. Yeah. yeah. Like,
1: Arca, yeah, I mean, they, they produced it. She produced it, I guess, but like she didn't really control the strings and stuff.
0: Yeah. Like, they had the
1: strings version as well.
0: And I guess in the the same way, Utopia has all of those flute instrumentals and orchestrations that are, yeah. like, very explicitly, like, Bjork. And then there are songs that are, like, more heavy with Arca, like, Sue yeah. Me and whatnot. But
1: I guess, like, what do you... like, the electronic sort of glitchy flourishes... Mm-hmm. Those sort of things are more like you can see yeah. where
0: arka has been touching the material. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in <arisen> my senses. <laughs> so I want to kind of investigate the question of why do gay men love Bjork? And the reason I ask this is because I know like a few like alt girls, you know, who have like ear like not ear piercings, but eyebrow piercings and stuff, or, like, tongue piercings, or they have some, like, ugly, like, stick-and-poke tattoos. Those girls, like, love Bjork. But then it comes to everyone else in the world, and it's, like, really just not it. I met a straight man once who loved her, and it really startled me, and I'm still not totally sold on his sexuality, but... I, I, there is a definite like emotional pulse that like touches the gaze with this woman. And I want what, to, what do you think it is?
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, um, I'm it's like, I don't want to just be, I don't want to be reductive and be like, oh, it's, it's the old woman thing. It's, oh, it's Madonna. It's a Kate Bush. Because that's not true at this, like start. Like when people started standing back in the 90s before the stand mm-hmm. was ever a word, there was some attraction there. Like, I don't know. I think it's like something about her persona.
0: Well, I think her persona is really overtly emotional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even since debut, all of her songwriting is extremely dramatic and theatrical. And she stages her emotions and her feelings like they are the most enormous sensation on the entire planet. I yeah. think that gay men feel kind of similarly, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what do you call there's definitely the um we got the emotion and the vocals and all that that has the allure.
0: It's kind of camp in some ways because I mean, even the most diehard, like Bjork apologists at this point have to kind of recognize that like some of it is like kind of amusing, like
1: Yeah. And what do you call it? Not, not only the music is camp, like the music videos, like think about. Oh my God. Yeah. One of her most successful, like it's so, so quiet. Camp. OG camp.
0: Yeah. Literally theater, like theater kid camp is like right living in that video. And like, if you go like to bachelorette, that's camp.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What do you call it? I always meme that. Like I do the impression as like the start of it is like, <laughs> One day, I found a big book in the forest. It's like the Greta Thunberg thing.
0: Oh no! and <laughs> <People laughs> like Greta Thunberg are actually like kind of similar somehow. Uh oh, Sweden, Iceland. I can smell it. They both have like that same like weird like ec- like uh, ecological impulse.
1: <laughs> well, what do you call? It? I mean, we can go into that in the next half of the episode mm-hmm. like i feel like maybe there were some ecological undertones at least to drawing restraint nine
0: yeah which we'll talk about in the second half of the show when we go yeah. into her movies what of her albums have really like sunk in with you you said uh debut is one of the first and yeah vespertine
1: yeah and then what do you call it um volna Cura. when that came out i got really into that and not, not, yeah, not when it came out legally.
0: Oh, <laughs> when it got <laughs> leaked. Yeah, that was the first, like, Bjork cycle, like, release cycle that I got to actually be a part of and listen to. And I remember yeah. when it came out, that album lived in my ears, like, that whole year, along with Azealia Banks and Broke with Expensive Taste, because I think those came out the same year or around the same time. No, no. Oh, no, I know what it You're- is. It was my freshman year of college. That's why
1: Yeah well what do you call it Broke with Expensive Taste is timeless And people were still listening to it after 2014 Mm -hmm. But what do you call it Um Yeah Von was 2016 I'm pretty sure
0: Really I thought it was 2015 Oh my god shit
1: Or maybe 2015 I don't know And then what do you And then Utopia was like 2017 wasn't it
0: Yeah I like lost track of time Yeah it was 2017 because it was before I left for Japan So 2017 Yeah. yeah 2015, yeah, January 2015, quite early.
1: Oh yeah, because yeah, she had to. Oh yeah, yeah, that actually did come around the same time. Yeah, because um, Breakfast
0: Expensive Taste Taste was like like late fall 2014, and I remember walking to my English classes, listening to Idle Delilah, like getting my fantasy, and then when I got depressed in the winter, I could just listen to Black Lake and not get over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you call, I remember, like,
1: what do you, I don't remember, like, I don't think I got into Broke with Expensive Taste until after it came out. Mm-hmm. But, like, I remember when 2 and 2 was big. Yep. And they used 2 on 2 in the... The Bling Ring. Bling
0: Ring trailer. Yeah. yeah. Um, by like, Sofia Coppola. What do you call,
1: yeah. Like, I visit. I think I was visiting Korea or something, and they had a... In Seoul, they had, like, this weird, like, TV truck.
0: Mm-hmm. And they were
1: playing, like, the Bling Ring a trail or some ad for it. So there's, like, this truck going around playing 2-1-2, full volume.
0: Can you imagine, like, a truck doing that with, like, but with Black Lake instead? (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) God. Or Family. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that, you know, especially with Vulnacure, because that's one of the albums that, like, really sinks in with me, too. It is so unashamed and unabashedly emotional. Like, it just... Is not afraid to put every absurd theatrical feeling on the table and present it with total earnesty. That of course I'm obsessed, you know. Yeah. Like of course, because being a gay man, I feel that drama and even the most like minute social interactions. It's like I'm yeah, it's like rejected by it, yeah, a straight like man. Quintessential... And all of a sudden, I feel family in my body.
1: <laughs> yeah, as the quintessential like breakup album that. For some reason, even though it's like it's about her like heterosexual relationship, it has some universality for some reason.
0: I think it might also be because she's very unafraid of like touching on sex and sexual relationships in a way that's more academic and, you know, very informed. And I guess a lot of straight girl pop musicians do it in a more superficial way where like she is really interrogating it and she has been since her like the career started honestly
1: yeah like there's it's not like bjork's gonna drop um her um what do you call it? wop style <laughs> song
0: anytime soon this is funny because i literally talked about this on another episode my friend was like well if bjork released WAP, how could you not live for it i was like
1: I mean, we would,
0: but it would be. We did. Out of it was Utopia. Utopia is WAP. Yeah. <laughs> what albums for Bjork don't work for you? I guess maybe Med-
1: Medulla is it like. I love there's so many songs off it that I love, but it's mm-hmm. not as
0: cohesive.
1: It's probably in a the way. one that I
0: revisit the least as well, even though I do admire yeah. it, like sonically, I guess.
1: Yeah. Like, what songs do you like? Like, I like Triumph of a Heart just because oh, I me mean that's the natural single. Yeah, and then. What's uh, is it like Sonnet Sun Reality? I think a mouth mantra. Is
0: that on there? Yeah,
1: no, mouth mantra is uh,
0: it's pleasure is all mine. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, pleasure is all mine. Yeah, and then what do you call it? Is like
1: cat, what is it? Um,
0: Desired Constellation on the left, on the right. Yeah,
1: Desired Constellation. Yeah, like what do you call it? It's amazing how the album was done, like mostly with
0: mouth sounds, like voices. Yeah.
1: Yeah, mouth sounds yet some of them it's i think what do you call it? i think maybe desired constellation might be the only song on the album that like cheats and uses mm-hmm. some non-mouth sounds
0: yeah and i mean i think it's a really impressive album and that's something else about her is that she's very in tune with the instrumentation and the, the actual creation of production of her music if she's not doing it herself she's very involved with it and i think that leads to like a really satisfying and well-made album and so even with, you know, Medulla, which is, like, one I, I do not go to that often, I can still, like, really respect it artistically.
1: Yeah, or, like, something like Volta, which, like, I guess some people have, like, panned, but other people just have, like, really like.
0: I guess. Yeah, but like that, that's, that's receiving the a same. Researcher. It's, like, it has good
1: songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good songs, even if it's not a cohesive album.
0: Yeah, I like, um, I like Innocence. Which is, like, the most, like, Timbaland-heavy song on that album, I guess.
1: Yeah. Because it almost, like, reminds me of, like, uh, the M.I.A. of the same yeah, era. Yeah,
0: me too. I kind, of, I definitely like the get beat. that
1: sensation.
0: Like, yeah. I guess... I, I mean, Bjork's kind of been doing, like, what M.I.A. did with Maya, like, since she started. You know, she's been very aggressive <laughs> and political. But then, like, Volta is probably her most explicitly, like, political record in some ways. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. What do you call it? Like um Declare
1: Independence.
0: Getting banned from China. Yeah. When she do you remember screamed, that? What did she say? Taiwan. No, she it said was Nepal. No, it's Tibet. Oh, that's Tibet. Tibet. <gasps> Why did I say Nepal? Oh no. <laughs> Tibet. <laughs> you, no Tibet. <laughs> yeah. I think
1: she, what do you call it? I think since then she can only yeah, she can perform in Taiwan now, but she can't
0: perform in China in actual in the PRC. Do you think Bjork's a communist? No. Me neither. not at all she'd be like what do you call if she was
1: any more active on twitter i would swear she would be like retweeting color revolutions (gasps) (laughs) she'd be like free hong kong
0: oh no i i'm really glad that bjork has a kind of a divorced social media presence like she posts something every now and then i don't want more from her like give me your art Put on the table. I don't need to hear what you think about everything. I don't want yeah. to. like
1: what's your she was actually pretty thoughtful with the um handling of the whole Black Lives Matter thing like didn't she she had some Icelandic guests on to talk about like Black Lives Matter in Iceland mm-hmm. on her Instagram t- to do an Instagram live? Yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, I don't think I saw all of it, but I, like I definitely noticed it. it was like, oh, that's a good gesture at least.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's like a, a a good way to go about it because obviously so many celebrities like felt pressured to address Black Lives Matter. And it, it was very clear to me when a lot of famous musicians and artists and actors were reacting to it that they had no throughway from their own experience like into what was going on. And so it led to a lot of, like, phony, like, just trying to appease the masses nonsense. Yeah, this is what my PR team told me to put up. Exactly. Or, like, for Christ's sakes, all those Instagram pictures that are, like... You know what I'm talking about? It's, like, the really nicely laid out, very, like, typographical aesthetic stuff about what God knows what. And it's so obviously not about actually liberating Black people. It's just about, like, getting whoever it is designing it something to put on their... Stupid resume, yeah,
1: like how can we make black liberation struggle something that's profitable for us,
0: yeah, should we talk about the time Bjork said the n word <laughs> uh
1: the time or their
0: times?
1: <laughs> the time it, what, what it was twice, yeah, and they were both in the exact same context as yeah. well. they were both the same quote,
0: yeah, she said that sound is the n word of what was it?
1: the world or or audio is okay. i don't know it's just i guess my take on
0: that is that bjork is a dumb old lady (laughs) bjork is a dumb old lady who like thinks entirely like with her clit like her entire like emotional (laughs) like music making is like around her vagina like please do not ask her to comment on anything outside of that please yeah what do you call it
1: was it like i think it's i think it's from that um i'm trying to think which interview it's from that uh it was some magazine. But I remember it. Yeah, I remember it vaguely, just from the visuals. Like it was for some French magazine,
0: <laughs> and she was wearing that green outfit. I just, I just remember that cursed video. <laughs> and you know what's amazing is that she did not get canceled. Like she never. Yeah.
1: Well, that was that was like back in the 2000s, wasn't
0: it? Yeah. I. It was. It was pretty early, but I think she said it again in like the 2010s or yeah. something. And I remember going to a Death Grips concert and the guy standing next to me in line, I was like, oh, what kind of other music do you like? Because we both had waited 10 hours to go stand in front of Death Grips. Yeah. And he was like, what other kind of music do you like? I was like, oh, I like Bjork. And he's like, well, she said the N-word. And that was the only time yeah, anyone has ever wait, brought was that this, to me.
1: Was this before or after the powers that they got released? This was after.
0: <laughs> after.
1: They're just like, was like, oh, she said the N-word. But I mean, she collaborated with Death Grips,
0: so... Yeah. Do they equal out? G- girl, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, white people cannot say the first half of the uh, Jenny Death album, The Power Is That Be, because it has caught? the N-word in it.
1: Yeah, what do you call it? She, her reparations was giving her, se- her vocals for that. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: clearly it wasn't enough,
0: but... Uh, I mean... I honestly, it just obviously she wasn't actually calling anyone the n word. She was just being a stupid bitch. Like,
1: oh, and also the blackface thing, which
0: is like even dumber.
1: Is it charcoal? Was, what was it?
0: I don't know. It was just some fucking makeup. Like she clearly was not in, like intending to look like a black person. It was just like an artistic yeah. thing. And it like
1: it's just like how that what do you call it? People try to cancel retroactively cancel Marina and the Diamonds for that one. Oh she's, my like, god! She's like pa- she's painted like the night sky or something. It's like okay, I like it's per- supposed to be like stars.
0: To be a pop star now, you have to realize like maybe like post twenty eighteen, like you had to realize that people are gonna comment on that. So now, yeah. if someone did, it, I'd be like, "Oh, well, you kind of know where we're going with this."
1: Like, yeah, you've seen you've seen everyone else fall into the traps. Yeah, they're just yeah. trying to
0: they're trying to express themselves by putting black face paint on and looking like the stars. <laughs> Whatever, just get just stop. The, the, Marina and the Diamonds, like looking at the night sky, has oppressed no people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, materially oppressed. Um, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Some person on Tumblr who I don't know. Who cares about Tumblr anyway?
0: Um the the thing is is that no one should, but they all just migrated to Twitter. They're all there now. Yeah. And God help us if we had to read their takes about Bjork, honestly, please stop. Of all the
1: things everyone migrated from Tumblr for it was for the poor, not like all the other bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) That was the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs)
0: Did you migrate from Tumblr as well?
1: Oh, uh, no. Like, what do you call? I I only ever use like I still have a Tumblr, but it's like only like images and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like I only use it for like aesthetics. Like it's like a <laughs> like a mood board. Yeah. Like I don't never got into the what do you call it? I just don't understand the layout of it. Like I don't know. It's the awkward whole to notes, use. I free think. blog thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, what do you call?
1: People used to use it like they used um like Wix or Blogger
0: or whatever literally whatever. Yeah. What are some of your favorite most iconic watch mojo like Miss Mojo Bjork slay moments?
1: <laughs> slay moments. Um I am grateful grapefruit. I am grateful grapefruit was the like <laughs> number one. What was that 1994 Brit Awards and she just goes up. Uh, I am grateful grapefruit. <laughs> yeah.
0: She just went up to the, to the awards and she just said that. Thanks. Yeah, and every, every,
1: everyone's just looking like, what the fuck?
0: And they just cheered.
1: Like, they were just on board for it. Like, I feel like that was the predecessor to the whole swan dress thing. Yes. Like, she, she realized I can do this shit and people already know my persona. Like, oh, I'm known as the weird one, so I can just do this. And people nervously laugh.
0: I think that one of my slay moments from her kind of related to that is the swan dress. But then moving on from that, the DJ shows that she did like following Utopia, where she just goes there, puts her arm up, and she screams. <laughs> That's a slay. Yeah, I've moment seen like the
1: what do you call like the shaky cam videos of it on people's phones.
0: And then also <laughs> when she beat up that reporter in Thailand.
1: Yeah, ninety nine. Welcome to
0: Bangkok. Never forget. Cool. Welcome to Bangkok.
1: <laughs> Where was that? Yeah, that was 96, I think.
0: Yeah, it was or around 90- then.
1: Yeah, but it was, I think it was pre Stalker. But, yes. like, I don't know, it was. During the post tour or whatever.
0: How do you think she could ever manage with that stalker? Like, she was already very sensitive to, like, the, the press and the public yeah. image. And then she had to deal with Ricardo Lopez.
1: Oh, my God. The only straight
0: Bjergstam. The No way. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> Have you seen the pictures of him, like, coated in makeup and stuff? Yeah. was like, clown makeup. I feel like even straight people are above the clown make- makeup these days. I feel like yeah. he was a closeted call- fag. Yeah, but what do
1: you call His relationship was weird. Like, to her, it was weird. It was, like, almost like this... It wasn't, like, the same, like, stan worship. It was almost, like...
0: Oh. I don't know. It was, like, stan worship plus heterosexuality. <gasps> the most yeah. frightening thing in the world. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine, like, if straight people behaved like gay men... Like standing women. Um Do they?
1: What do you attain BTS
0: stands? Oh, okay. The Cancer. BTS stan girls. <laughs> Ew. You're what? right though. Like that is exactly how like Stan <laughs> culture gets translated. I honestly think that women, like heterosexual women, should not be stands. <laughs> Am I wrong? Well Um I don't know. What good the, does ca- it do? The capitalist argument.
1: You got to have the double Ooh. consumption. You got to have the gays and the girls.
0: The gays and the girls. I guess that is how yeah. everyone refers to it. So maybe I should let the girls pass.
1: Yeah. But what do you call From like the, um, the <laughs> cultural argument, what is it doing? Question for the culture. <laughs> what is it doing?
0: Yeah, let me get into my ID poll tea really quick here and just ask everyone <laughs> Are women allowed to stand Bjork? No. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're
0: gatekeeping. Well, uh, on that note, uh, we're going to start gatekeeping the films of Bjork, but let's take a quick break, shall we?
1: Yeah. about um, the first Björk film in the chronology The Juniper Tree
0: Yeah we're going to talk The Juniper Tree because I think that a lot of people are happy to talk about Björk's discography but what about her filmography Yeah. so that's what I'm here about maybe eight shots of whiskey in and um, we're ready to go We're we're doing the work of watching
1: these (laughs) movies
0: Okay, honestly, for two of these movies, we really were doing the work. And the first one, the Juniper Tree, is a lot of work.
1: Yeah, Juniper Tree flop. Drawing room, right nine <laughs> flop.
0: Dance on the, a half the out dark.
1: five stars. Yeah, whereas Dance on the Dock, that's
0: a iconic moment. diva moment. Yeah,
1: iconic diva moment. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, okay, so Juniper Tree is a movie from the early '90s, yeah, right? Yep, yeah,
1: 1990. It's directed by. I'm I'm gonna. Butcher the name. Nate's Kane.
0: Did it better than I would. Yeah. Uh, I guess this movie is a retelling of a brother's grim tale that I was not aware of before watching this. So I guess a lot of that went over my head. But it's about two sisters and their mother is killed for being a witch. And they have to. The older sister uses a spell to seduce a man. And it's about. Their relationship with that man, as they live together with his child, the two sisters, this man, and his son, and kind of the psychosexual relationship between them all. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Um.
1: Well, in the intro, no. There's what do you call it? We can talk about the uh, what, what the fuck is the like, the whole holes in the chest thing, whatever the fuck's that? It's like a black hole. Yeah. What the? What is that? Like, the supernatural
0: element. Yeah, so for context, it's like the... The girls are purported to have some magic here. And so it kind of reveals itself very slowly in the film, where there are moments where it kind of seems like characters are being hexed or possessed or being, you know, informed by magic to, like, have this sexual relationship with the, the woman. But it's very subtle... And if you were looking at your phone the whole movie, you would not notice.
1: Yeah, and also the There's that like that ghost or spirit. Is that their mother? Mu- it's dead their mom? mother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So which the, is like a kind of different of outfit. Of
0: the, I I think it's the ghost of the dead mother of the boy of the guy they're seducing. Oh yeah. 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 yeah so she like, like shows up, and she says words and says things, <laughs> and uh, that's what she does. And then a hole appears in her chest that uh, little Miss Bjork just puts her hands right into.
1: <laughs> it's like, what do you call it? Mary Poppins' bag just reaching in to see what you'll find.
0: Exactly. And what do you find? We don't know. This movie won't tell us. <laughs> what do you think the overall like themes of this movie are?
1: Oh, I, we, we discussed this in the original episode. It was like, I don't know. It's not, maybe, I was going to say family, but I don't know. It's, like, there's definitely um, the family dynamic with the kid where he's, like, he, like, rejects the, like, stepmother.
0: The new woman, yes. Yeah. And from what I understand about the original Brothers Grimm tale, the original perspective of the story is, like, very anti-that woman. Yeah. So it's, like, very, like, posing her as the villain. So I guess this is, like, trying to disrupt that narrative by posing her as the protagonist to yeah. a degree. The, fem- the feminist
1: rating. Ugh.
0: <laughs> what do you learn about women from this movie?
1: Um, that they're hashtag girl bosses. And they're hashtag they can- girl bosses. Yeah, Hermione. Liberalism. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that this movie is um, I'm not going to call it a failure. I just will say it's very plain.
1: Yeah, like, it's, what do you call it? It's a debut. It's like a, what do you mm-hmm. call it? I mean, good on Björk for getting into the acting. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have, I mean, I wouldn't have really, I wouldn't go and see it in a cinema if they rescreened screened it again.
0: No, because I think a lot of the photography is, is very beautiful. And there's a lot yeah. of, like, good filmmaking going on. But I think overall it's, like, very thematically inarticulate.
1: Yeah. Like, what do you call it? I think that's a common thread with a lot of the, yeah. besides, with the exception of Dance from the Dark, they're all, like, mm-hmm. arts films. Like, yeah. what do you call it? Like, you can, and it's, I mean, it's amazing how beautiful they can make the Icelandic landscape, even in black and white.
0: I think that's, a, honestly, the best part of the movie is the way that they film the landscape, and they make that look like a terrifying entity of its own. So... A lot of the times it'll like show these characters talking and really stilted dialogue for a long time and it'll like break to some kind of like frightening shot of like the mountainscape or something. And I think that's like it's it's effective. But like I said earlier, because the film is so thematically inarticulate and just has like so little to say about anything, like it just kind of is going the direction of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, how do you feel about Bjork's performance in this movie?
1: I mean, for like a first role, it's it's pretty decent. Like, I yeah, like her acting's decent. I think her, the like sister character's acting's decent as well. The only acting yeah. that's like lackluster is like the child actor, but that's the like, child, that's, expect- yeah. that's expected.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, do you think that the guy that they seduce is hot? I can't, I can wait. I watched it in August. I
1: can barely remember. No, I don't think so.
0: I kind of, like, tried to attach the angle to it. I think he's, like, hotter than a lot of men they cast in sexual roles. So I was like, great, but can you give me a little more? Like, <laughs> can you have at least a six-pack, perhaps?
1: <laughs> yeah, what do you call it? He dress- yeah, he dresses like Shrek. He has that, like, what do you call it, like that? Yeah. I don't know what to call it. I don't know what to call it. like the. that sort of, like, old-fashioned, like, potato sack sort of shirt.
0: Yeah, and, like, um, if you're wearing a potato sack shirt, I need you to, like, rip it up or like take it off a little bit so I can see your packs. And I didn't get any of that in this movie, so flop. Yeah, flop. I, I describe this movie on my litter box as a Scandinavian nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what do you call it? Midsummer, Scandinavian Nightmare. Uh the Juniper Tree, Scandinavian Nothing.
0: Yeah, and this movie definitely has like some threads with Midsummer. Like it has a lot of like the disoriented Scandinavian aesthetic that leads to death and chaos. And yet Midsummer is obviously much more articulate and like actually has like a theme and an idea behind it. And I think that this does like have thematic elements of power relationships between men and women. And it just refuses to comment or do anything interesting. I guess the only thing that like really surprised me is that the kid dies. Yeah. Like what do you
1: got? Wait, how does he die again? Wait, wait, doesn't he like fall off a cliff or something? I can barely remember. um
0: one of the witches convinces him that like his mother will save him if he walks off a cliff and then he does and does not survive.
1: Yeah. That was a bra moment.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess overall, if you're like interested in like Bjork's overall like career, like it's definitely worth a watch. Like there's like some good imagery going on. She has a fine performance. It's like a very passable, boring, average movie.
1: Yeah. Like, and it's not, it's not like it's so bad, it's good. It's just like a see it to say that you've so, seen it.
0: Yeah. And that's about all you get from it. So with that said, let's move on to a movie that is very substantial, very thematically articulate. And um, basically the inverse of all of this, which is Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark.
1: Yeah. From 2000. So 10 years later. And what do you call it? Yeah. The acting chops are a lot better despite no mm-hmm. like, I guess the only acting she's done in between them is for music videos. Music but,
0: videos, yeah. yeah. What was your impression going away from this movie? Because I've seen this movie a lot of times. So I'm, I'm very curious, about, like what you thought about it. Yeah, so this
1: is this it. was my first watch because like I kept putting off um, watching it for some reason, and I, like yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was like what my first impression. I don't know. I was thinking like I'd heard Selma songs and I liked. I definitely like the soundtrack, so I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. this might be good, but I'm not sure how much I will like it as, like, a musical.
0: Yeah. Well, the, I think, I guess we'll explain the plot really quick, which is that it it casts Bjork as a woman named Selma, who is going very progressively blind, and by midway in the movie, she basically can see nothing at all. Um, She escapes, like, the dreary immigrant American life that she has by watching or listening to musicals and... She is a very pure, innocent soul who is progressively betrayed by everyone into the movie until she is framed for a murder and is executed at the end of the film. Yeah. Also,
1: there's there's some things I'd like to talk about with like the, oh my God, there's some little subtle red scare stuff. In there? There like is, a, yeah. In the court saying, they're like talking about how, oh, she's a communist. This is why we should execute her.
0: Because the movie is really about like um, this era of immigration in the United States in ways that are both subtle and extremely obvious. It definitely is not afraid to bring up a lot of like the communist um politics that were going on at the same time which i think yeah. is really bold and interesting it's also a movie sort of, made in 2000
1: it's also sort of vague about when it's set like i couldn't tell if it's late 50s or early 60s yeah
0: it could be a-, a lot of different time periods honestly and i think that's one of the benefits of the movie is that it's like made with a really aesthetic indirectness where this movie could take place right now and it would be challenging to realize that you yeah. know like you can basically set it whenever you want which i think is one of the overall like winning effects of the movie yeah definitely have you seen any other Lars von Trier movies except for this uh no what do you call it He's yeah. one of my favorite directors i've seen everything yeah <laughs> yeah and i think this is one of his strongest movies and it's because honestly because of björk's performance because she is so convincing as soma and very easy to empathize with and so Honestly, like, by the time that shit starts hitting the fan, you've already completely bought into her. You've bought into her narrative, and then you, you feel everything that she has to go through from there. Even when she's making decisions that may seem misled or poor, you still, like, understand why she's making them. And I think it's really because of her performance.
1: And I mean, like, what do you call Like, all the characters are a bit, like, they're, like, assholes to her, except for, what do you call it, and the guy that keeps hitting on her outside the factory every yeah. fucking day when she finishes yeah. work. And, like, her son, I guess. Right.
0: And even her son's
1: a dick to her all the yeah. time. And like, what do you call it? Yeah. The main betrayers are like, the cop and the cop's wife.
0: Yeah. I, this is a really anti-institution film, I think. And, and I think the overall theme of the film is addressing why we use film and art as like a means of escape and how it's ultimately like a hollow pursuit because when we're not like living in you know our beautiful communist agrarian utopia like we're always going to be like murdered by the institutions that you know are affecting us yeah and it I mean, isn't really necessarily it. as explicitly communist or leftist as that but i think like maybe peripherally it is addressing that yeah you can
1: definitely do like a, re- a reading of that like what do you call it if you go through like the whole thing, the um the story is she emigrates to. It is revealed that she emigrated to America to get um because her son could get the uh, eye surgery.
0: Yeah, to it's save just some his uh, eyesight. Yeah, Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. Yeah, where they don't not have Czech Republic, that. but Czechoslovakia.
1: Yeah, so she's from Czechoslovakia, where they don't have that. So that's like what do you call? it? Like that's also part of the whole like red scare thing in the um, courtroom mm-hmm. scene. Like she's saying like oh, I left not because I like hated communism or something. I left because I needed this medical procedure.
0: Yeah. And um, the plot of the movie is that she has been saving all of her money working at what's basically like a basin, like a sink production factory. Um, she saved all of her money for uh, from working from that job in order to pay for her uh, son's eye surgery because he's going to fall victim to the same blindness that she has. Um, and she gets it, stripped away from her by a greedy, capitalist American cop who has uh, really fallen in love with a glamorous lifestyle but can't support it with his income. So he steals yeah. her savings in order to pay his shit off.
1: Yeah, but also, also it's like, what do you call it? It's not even like, oh, his glamorous lifestyle.
0: <laughs> Maybe it can, isn't glamorous, you're right. Yeah.
1: Maybe I can critique uh, Lars von Trier here, but it sort of like, it blames like his wife. It's like, oh... It does. She's just uh, spending beyond her no means trying to buy all these luxury things.
0: Every single character in this movie is given a, like, humanitarian, like, thoughtful reading except for her. Yeah. She's never given a moment except to be the bitch, you know? Yeah, like,
1: what do you call—even, like, when she, like, walks in, she's like, oh, like, her husband's dead, like, yeah, that's, there's, like, no way that, um— Selma can just be like, can just explain, oh, so I killed your husband because he actually stole all this money from me. No, she's always like, she's like, ah, screaming about it and everything. There's no rationalizing.
0: And one thing that we haven't mentioned about this movie yet, to a major degree at least, is that it's literally a musical, but not in the way that you've ever seen a musical before because it films it with like standard digital video cameras, basically, like camcorders. And um, it's filmed from a really abstract angle in all of these scenes so that like when you're watching these sequences of what would initially be Hollywood glamour, it's reduced to sort of like farce and tragedy because of the way that they're shot. And even though they increase like, the, the vividness and like, the saturation on every image, you can still really get like a tragic sort of distance from like what's actually happening. And I've never seen a movie that really divorces from form in that way.
1: Yeah, like also like what do you call it's like that that musical thing where it goes from like a regular scene to all of a sudden they're singing and everyone's dancing. It's like breaking Mm -hmm. the not even breaking the fourth wall, but like
0: just it's breaking the medium of the narrative for sure. Yeah,
1: in the musicals, what do you call like even um, in the musical the song in the musicals is like Mm -hmm. it's like a meta, it's a meta musical, exactly. Especially with its references to, what do you call it? What, what is it? Reference? it references. Um, what's the one from the 30s?
0: It's not what Sound of one? Music. Yeah, Sound of I'll Music. Later. Yeah. Definitely not the 30s, because that's about the Holocaust to a degree. Yeah. So, like, maybe 40s, 50s? No,
1: I, th- I think the Sound of Music did originally come out in the like 30s, didn't it?
0: Seriously? Let me check. I have no idea about this. I have never seen Sound of Music to its full extent. <sighs>
1: Really? I've seen it so many times. Like, never as, like, a stage play, but the movie. 1965! But it's set in the, like, it's set in the 30s. In the
0: 30s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so she, she attaches really severely, Selma does, to these musicals and, like, these, like, fictional dreams. And then when you see her perform them in her music, which is, you know, obviously very abstracted because Bjork, like, wrote and produced the music for it, it's... Very confrontational because you see the way that these musicals are lying and glamorizing or abstracting what's actually real. It's very powerful. It really made me confront the way I watch movies. This is one of the few movies that I've ever given a five star or two. Like there's like eleven or ten that I have, and this is one of them.
1: Yeah, like I, I don't one know of my if, favorites. Yeah, I don't know if I give it the five star, but I yeah, it's close to it at least. Like I'd give it at least a nine. Yeah, I I guess it depends on your take on musicals Like I'm not Super into musicals but even then I I can appreciate
0: it And I guess for me what happened is that I watched this when I was a theater kid Like I was a theater kid in high school It was like my sophomore year I was president of the Thespian Club And I saw this and it fucking floored me It made me change the way I watch Every single movie and every single musical And basically like all art It like took me a step away from it And I showed this to a friend, like, a year ago, and he didn't really have a strong feeling from it, except that he thought, like, it was evil and, like, abusing the actress, you know? And um, not, like, in terms of the production, but, like, in terms of... Which it also uh,
1: was perhaps true.
0: Yeah, I think that it's true that Lars von Dreher pushed Bjork beyond her emotional capacity to make this Yeah, like, what do
1: you call it? The fucking, what was it, the... The eight, she ate a shirt on set thing like that fucking bullshit like mm-hmm. like what the hell was that?
0: I, I I don't want to say that Lars von Trier is an abuser. I don't want to like make like a, a general claim about him, but I I do feel very confident that he pushed her too yeah, much on this movie. But
1: you can definitely you can say regardless if like if you stay neutral, you can still say that they at the very least didn't mesh together well. Like as a director, no, definitely Francis.
0: not. And I think that a lot of the actresses and the the women he works with who have good things to say about him are also people who are very experienced in the medium, like um, Kirsten Dunst with Melancholia or like Charlotte Gainsbourg and a lot of his movies, like both of them have had a lot of positive feedback and commentary about him, like after the fact of making the movie. But both of them are much more experienced than Bjork was doing this. Like She made The Juniper Tree and then she came into this and here we are like
1: those experienced actors they have been used to being pushed around by like shitty directors or whatever. Whereas if you're just, Mm -hmm. yeah, like what do you call it? You think like Björk, she had the juniper tree, which I guess, I think the director was more or less one of her friends invited her on to do it. And then think about her music videos. She had like, she got to choose her own collaborators. She had like some control over it. Whereas this is like all your, most of your controls pulled away from you apart from, like, what she could do with the songs.
0: Yeah, and then not only is it pulled away from you so violently, but it's in the hands of a director who is, like, famous for trying to evoke the most extreme performances from his actresses, so. Yeah. Overall, I think the effect wins. Like, even if this movie was made in, like, bad taste and is evil and abused a woman to make it like i think that the point that it makes is so strong that like it 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 stands as a really solid piece of media and you can go back as far as like picasso and seeing all of these men who have used women in a way that might not be favorable to the cultural narrative and have made art that's extremely impressive
1: no ethical consumption of capitalism but we're still going to enjoy it anyway
0: yeah exactly like this movie is still going to push my tastes even if it was made in a fashion that would never happen again today. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's a relic. There will never be another dancer in the dark, ever.
1: Yeah, oh my god, I can just imagine them trying to make, like, a shitty remake, and it would
0: not work. No, the the closest thing I've seen to this is Inland Empire by David Lynch, which is only six years later, Um, and it was made on shitty cameras as well, and it has a lot of, like, confrontation... With like the image of the actor and everything, and uh, Laura Dern had no idea what she was doing the whole movie and had to go through a lot of like emotional turmoil to make it and I think that's like the last movie in like this vein i don't I really don't think we're going to see another one like that for a yeah. long time
1: the vein of what do you call i don't know emotional torture musicals,
0: yeah. <laughs> I I described to my friend the other day that my favorite genre of film is, like, women being emotionally tortured. (laughs) Like, The Piano Teacher, this, uh, Climax, Irreversible, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like...
1: Wait, do you have any examples that, like, aren't by Las Contreras?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, Irreversible and Climax are both um, Gaspar Noe from France. Oh, yeah. And The Piano Teacher is uh, Michael Haneke from Austria. Wait, does...
1: Does 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 Last Venture even have any other films that are sort of similar to this at all?
0: Yeah, he actually has a trilogy of them. He did um, Breaking the Waves with I think Emily Watson, N- not Emma Watson.
1: Yeah, rip off, rip off
0: Watson. Better than yeah. <laughs> and then I think um, there's he called them the Golden Heart trilogy, and they were all about like women who are like subject to the tragedy of um, all sorts of systems and displayed innocent, pure-hearted women who get, like, slaughtered and killed by the systems that they participate in. So for Breaking the Waves, it was, like, a system of, like, religious, like, sexual interest. And then for this, it was, like, American culturalism. And I think there might be one more, but I don't remember what it is. I have no idea. We're going (laughs) to leave it at that. If someone knows, they can tell me... Whatever Yeah
1: Should we What do you call it Is there anything else We have on Dance of the Dark Or should we Move on to Drawing a straight nine
0: The music's really good That's all I have to say It's like one of my Favorite Bjork albums Actually I love all of the music That was made for this movie
1: Yeah it's like What would What would you say Is your Favorite song from it Qualda Yeah mine's probably Either in the movie In the musicals Or
0: Scatterheart Oh Scatterheart's gorgeous With the scratching Of the record on it Yeah Amazing And that's one of the best things about Bjork is that, like, you know, even when she's, like, in a creative mode that's, like, very outside of what she does, she was able to, like, repurpose it to make a really powerful product that I think you can still enjoy even if you aren't attached to the movie, so. Yeah. Okay, Okay, so now we had to talk about the most difficult of these movies to chat about, which is Drawing Restraint 9. Oh, my God. What, like, how do you even describe this movie? Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, what is this?
1: Uh, two-and-a-half-hour Matthew Barney art film about whaling. I think you eloquently... I guess we should start with
0: who Matthew Barney is. Like, yeah. Who is he? Uh, Björk's ex-husband. That's right, who she made Von about their divorce, and probably every album before that about them <laughs> fucking. I mean, maybe not Volta. Yeah, maybe not Volta, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, um... Girl, I don't know. I really don't know. I was trying to explain, like, Matthew Barney and Bjork's relationship to my friend who I watched this with last night. And I was like, well, they had a child. They were married for, like, or, like, at least together for, like, 13, 15 years, like, formally before they they were just, like, you know, doing whatever. And they made this movie after the birth of their child and before their marriage crumbled.
1: Yeah. And like I don't I don't know enough about Matthew Barney's like background. Like New York visual artist sort of type. Mm-hmm. That's about yeah. the, the what I know.
0: Well, I've seen uh Cromaster 2, one of his art movies, and I guess something to know is because he really esteems himself as like a visual artist. His movies are basically impossible to come across unless like you're like really actively seeking them out. Because they're usually only screened at like film events or museum ex- exhibitions.
1: Yeah, like festi- film festivals and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So, Drawing Restraint 9 is part of a series of both illustrations and films that he made, um in which the idea is that a part of his body would be restrained in creating the image of the art so that in restraining it, it would grow stronger from engaging in the art, which is so boring and stupid. Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: it's like artsy to the point that you're like, oh, "What does that even mean?"
0: I'm like, this means nothing for nobody except for you.
1: Yeah, like what? Do you, another thing I was confused about, like, was like the the whole motif of like what do you call it? it's like the two half circles and then like the line in the middle.
0: Right, that's a common image in the movie. Yeah, that was,
1: yeah. It's like at the start. There's like there's like wrapping a package, and the, the like the like wax stickers or whatever are like that. Yeah. And then there's the whale hold it, or like the thing that holds the whale, um, like oil or whatever. Hmm. And it, and yes. what do you call it? The lemons. Oh, what, what the the they're fucking lemon scene?
0: It's not actually lemons. They're called yuzu. It's a type oh. of citrus in Oh, Japan. so they're, yeah, they're not lemons. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess another thing to explain about this movie is that it takes place on a Japanese whaling ship and it's very indebted to Japanese culture and that it depicts a tea ceremony uh, among a lot of other Japanese customs. Yeah. did, and you, did I you don't
1: like pick up on that a bit more than I did.
0: Yeah. I mean, um it showed places that are literally from the very extremely rural prefecture that I'm in. I could tell that it was like drawing on like Shinto, like faith and culture, but seeing all of it, seeing Bjork get up into her cultural appropriation gig, I just couldn't really like figure out like why or like what it was for. I guess like my reading of the, of the movie is that it's like about, tradition and the way that affects like our individuality but i don't really think that like he was effective in channeling japanese culturalism do you know what i mean
1: yeah it's like almost it was like adopted as like a surface level aesthetic maybe
0: right and i guess like the 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 whaling of it is like a cultural tradition and like people still defend like whaling because of it or whatever i have no perspective on the matter but I think that's why he adopted to set the film on a whaling ship is like for that reason. But I can't really see what it added or did not add to the movie. Yeah. I guess you can't even call it a movie. It's very difficult to critique or comment on this movie because it's just a lot of nothing.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, wait, um, early on there's like the, what do you call it? So it's like a, it's an art film in the very, art sense of the word and early on there's yeah. this what do you call there's like the um there's like a procession of people walking down that it's not even like it's like a road or something
0: oh it's like the parade and they're yeah. like marching between a lot of like industrial generators or like manufacturing yeah. it's of like, kind. like
1: a parade celebrating the launch of the ship or something
0: mm-hmm. and, then, and there's like what do you
1: call it there's the kimonos with the swastikas on them Did you know yeah, those that? are
0: called um yeah, the swast. The is it, the the, swastika- is it Buddhist or Shinto? Uh, Shinto, I think. Yeah. Um, they're called manju here. Oh, they're no. Sorry, they are Shinto. I'm right. They are Shinto. They it's it's called manju. Um, no association with Nazism at all. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I just. But if you want to I... cancel Bjork, just take a screenshot of that movie and say that. She yeah, you take it. You take it out of context. Imagery. Then,
1: yeah, take that out of context and add the blackface one, and then the. N-word, Use the uh, and then you're set.
0: Cancelled. You're done. Cancelled. Um, I guess that the like I said the overall theme of this movie is that like through the process of wailing and these two people's tea ceremony, it shows Bjork and her then husband Matthew Barney meeting and then in place of fucking like cutting away their flesh and their limbs from each other. Yeah, oh my
1: god, that scene was
0: like
1: <laughs> disturbing
0: and confusing. Well, I was happy to see something like viscerally affected at least something's happening yeah yeah exactly because before the rest of the movie the the film didn't have like much of like a an aesthetic effect on me but then when they saw off each other's feet and it shows their like little like knobs (laughs) like bonking into each other i was like oh my god out ew ew so i was happy to get some drama yeah and it's not even
1: like it's not even like it's like blood and like i don't know pus or whatever like, their blood doesn't initially come out red. It comes out, like, white at
0: the start. It's weird. Yeah, because for context, they're, like, standing in a really big... They're standing in a very small tea room. And it and slowly it's, floods. It's flooding during the storm. And then the water is filled with pus and blood, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I felt... I liked the other movie I saw from him a little bit more Kermaster 2 because it it dealt a lot more with like cultural imagery of like cars and like materialism and this all of its imagery draws from like Shinto and Japanese culture and I just like really don't think that like Matthew Barney is very articulate or in depth about it
1: yeah like does it seem sort of voyeuristic about it it's just like as a as observer.
0: I think he's kind of aware of the voyeurism because he didn't make himself or Bjork like reshoot the shots of him when they're like flopping around in the massive shoes that they're wearing in like their formal clothes. Like <laughs> he lets them both look very awkward. So I think like he he knows that like he's like intruding and he's not afraid yeah. to like, communicate that. It's very superficial because he talks about like the mono no aware, which is. Like the concept of everything's impermanence and everything. And it just is, like... Yeah, like, anyone who has, like, an introduction to Japan, like, kind of, like, knows about this. So, it felt very surface level to me when he was, like, using that to make a thematic statement.
1: Yeah. Like, I know... Well, yeah, I guess it's also, like, the... It's not, like, a... I guess it's, it's hard to say it's, like, a linear story linear story, like, if we were to recount the plot, like, what would you recount? It's definitely, like, it's art, and maybe you could reduce it to, um, just screenshots in a gallery.
0: Yeah, because he used to show this movie, like, in a gallery, like, in its, like, fullness, and I think honestly, like, seeing that in that, that setting might make it more enriching, but, like, watching it as a film is completely unsuccessful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean... I did enjoy watching it and overall it was like a positive experience for me, but like I would never recommend it to anyone.
1: Yeah. Like I feel like it's the Juniper Tree. Well,
0: I mean, it has other things that the Juniper Tree doesn't have, but what it
1: has in common with the Juniper Tree is it's like, like, it's like a see it as a Bjork fan, but don't expect Mm. too much from it.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing about this and its relationship to Bjork's earlier movies is that Dancer in the Dark has a lot of, like, meticulous shots of the industry that Selma is working in. And this has a lot of meticulous shots of the, like, above-deck manufacturing of, like, the sculpture that they're making with, like, the whale fat and the petroleum or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's, like, yeah, the whales and the sinks, I
0: guess. Yeah, but in Dancer in the Dark, like, all those shots of, like, the industry, like, made you really uncomfortable and they like, had to, like, confront, like, the tragedy of selma's existence but like here it's like so slow and methodical that it never allows for an emotional interpretation of like what's going on Mm. i mean i could be reading into his exact like what he wants in this movie the whole time but i guess like as like a person who consumes art and film and literature or whatever like my takeaway from it is that it's very unstimulating
1: yeah, like, it doesn't have the same sort of, like, emotional messages that Dance from the Dark has. And even, I feel like, mm-hmm. even the Juniper Tree has more of a substantial, like, message or themes, I guess.
0: So, tell me what your ranking of Bjork's filmography is.
1: Uh, yeah, of these three, Dance from the Dark, number one. It's, like, the best. Yeah. And then me too. And then, Juniper Tree, and then Drummer Shainan, I reckon.
0: I think I'm probably the same I might be able to switch Juniper Tree and Drawing Restraint Nine only because I think that there's like a lot of like interesting imagery. It's like a it's an interesting sensual experience, but I think that Juniper Tree is a more cohesive film.
1: Yeah. What do you call, I feel like you could cut up Drawing Restraint Nine into little sections and then show it in an art gallery. Not even as a movie, but as a series yeah. of like art films.
0: Yeah, because especially the scenes of them like, cutting each other apart, like, really, like, were visceral in me, and I really felt it, but the build-up to it, I just can't, I just can't, like, say that it was worth it. Yeah. So, now, looking at all of her filmography, we now know that she's about to play a role in the Robert Eggers next film, who directed The Lighthouse and The Witch, and uh, Bjork will be playing a witch the next movie, quote,
1: it, it in quotes the Slav witch, which is like, okay, we're we gonna can. Are we gonna cancel Bjork for that? She keeps playing. Yeah, she's appropriating Eastern European culture. Czechoslovakia in. uh dance in the dark.
0: Because Iceland is like not Slav. Yeah, definitely not. It's more like Scandinavia adjacent. Yeah, exactly. It's very Scandinavian. Um. It's interesting to me that, like, this role exists because um, all of Egger's movies thus far have been very American and about, like, American history and culture. So, like, I don't know, like, where this, quote, salav, unquote, witch is going to come from at all. Yeah,
1: I don't know. It's probably, (laughs) I don't know, maybe it's going to rely on stereotypes or something. Maybe. um, well, He
0: he definitely does. I mean, he, he loves his archetypes. Maybe Agate saw, maybe saw, um,
1: Dance in the Dark, and said, "Okay, this, but not blind and a witch."
0: I would love that. <laughs> Can you imagine Selma as not blind and a witch?
1: <laughs> or, or she is still blind, and she could she has like mystical powers that let her transcend the blindness.
0: I was thinking that perhaps, like in this next movie, he would be like making a comment about immigration or something. Um, So it could play into that But I, I I, really don't know Because he's set his two films at very different times In American history Which is like during the initial settlement And then during like 19th century Whatever Like just whatever that time was Like I don't know what Wait, they call the that lighthouse? But... Yeah exactly Yeah Moby
1: Dick Tease
0: Yeah Moby Dick Tease <laughs> But like I don't know when this next movie is taking place And I have no idea like what kind of time he's trying to represent with it but maybe if he said it like in like 1960s America like there's definitely a lot of like commentary to be made there yeah
1: and we call it Lars von Trier will call up and be like yo why are you stealing my
0: concept exactly because Lars von Trier has spent his whole career screaming about 1960s America girl yeah. be quiet <laughs> I mean, you didn't see Dogville with Nicole Kidman, but, like, that movie is a, literally a filmed stage play where he's like, America bad. America bad, girl raped, girl kill everyone. Also a movie that I love, but still.
1: Yeah, but you love it not because of the America bad, but because of its qualities.
0: No, the American criticism of that movie is very soupy, I think. Uh, yeah. But I do love the David Bowie Young Americans feature at the end. <laughs> Yeah, Lars von Trier Has never been to America Is too afraid to fly in a plane I honestly am like, okay like, I'll listen to what you say, but like I'm not going to take you seriously You haven't been here yeah. yeah, I mean, I'll listen, but girl You need to come to the country and see
1: Yeah, the Northman might be a different Tack in terms of Music-wise, because like The past three movies Björk has been in, she's been sort of At the reins with the music that's right. This one I'm assuming not so much.
0: Both of the previous two movies that he did have, like, really established uh, score composers doing the work. So I would be very surprised if she was, like, involved beyond, like, doing a theme song or something for the yeah. credits. Oh
1: my God. Like, what, what sort of theme song, though? Like, a uh, Björk Bond, uh, James Bond sort of song?
0: Well, the question is, is Arca going to produce it? <laughs> Can you imagine ARCA producing for a Robert Eggers film? Like, oh my god.
1: Oh my god. No, ARCA, the whole soundtrack. Just glitchy, scary, like, Blade Runner 2049
0: music. Well, it's kind of funny because the Axe Cloak, who collaborated with Bjork on Von Akira, did the soundtrack to Midsummer. Hmm. Yeah, and like that soundtrack is a sleigh. Yeah, so, we, we,
1: call, we keep seeing there's uh, this layers, there's connections here.
0: Yeah, these dialectics. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess they're reaching about time. So thank you for coming on the show two times. This time, the episode will actually come out. So. Yeah, like it might
1: take a while to to edit and take out all the ums and oars from both of us, or mostly me.
0: Oh, I don't edit it that much. I usually <laughs> leave it like alone because I feel like people, when they listen to other podcasts, they don't notice it. And I was thinking about it, and I listened to an episode I did, and then an episode of, like, another podcast that I won't name. And on that podcast, they said, like, just about as much as I did, but I only heard it when I was listening to mine, so.
1: Yeah, you get self-conscious as a podcaster.
0: Um, If you hear a lot of ums, which I just said, or likes from me, let me know. You can email me or something. I don't know. Let me know, and then I'll try to be more cognizant about it. I'm waiting. There's literally a page on my website, i'mpopular.me, for hate mail and for legal accusations. So please join. Take a look. Sue me.
1: Yeah, sue me. <laughs> sue me. Yeah, we've yeah, come full circle me. with the Björk references.
0: That's right. Well, on that note, thanks everybody. Ja, mata ne. Bye.